0: From my side, a warm welcome to everyone that's here today. We're so glad that you join us for the third part of our worship series. If you're watching online today, welcome to you. I hope the camera is not to shake. We actually forgot our tripod. So um, they are doing a balancing act there. Chris is carrying the camera on his head, um, but they're doing a good job. So welcome to everyone. We're continuing our series worship. <clears throat> but first, I wanted to ask you A couple of A and B option questions. Okay, so you will have to vote A or B. Which one you prefer? If you're online, just type in the comments A or B, whichever one you prefer. If you're in the room, you can just raise your hand. So A, what do you prefer? If your friends say you are really tight and say that they really care about you, or B, if they are always there and they never stab you in the back? Who prefers A? Who prefers B? Okay, most say they prefer B. Parents. A, do you prefer it if your parents tell you that you're important to them and that they love you, or B, that they show up to all the important stuff? Who picks A? Who picks B? Okay, this is a bit of more of a split. Hope the online guys, I hope you're participating. Spouse, what do you prefer if your husband or your wife, your girlfriend, your fiancé, if they give you a card that tells you you're the best thing in their life, or B, if they respect you and keep your trust who prefers a no one no one wants a beautiful card from their loved one who prefers b okay so let me ask you another question who of you prefer if you can have both a and b instead of just a or b let me see okay some of you are like i'm fine with with half, half a glass half full is better than nothing right But for most of us, it's like we want it all. We want them to say we love you, and we want them to show us they love you. Because we all know words without action doesn't mean a lot. But at the same time, one of the most common things I hear whenever we do couples counseling or something is, you never tell me you love me. So a lot of people, the hands were down for a. But that's often one of the first problems you face in life is if someone doesn't tell us they love us and tell us they care for us, we get super frustrated because we want to hear that. Now, what I want to do is, I want us before we get to today's topic, and you'll see how this is gonna play out. I want us to quickly look at some definitions for worship. Because we're busy with a series on worship. The first week we got a definition. Um, It's Louis Giglio's brainchild. I love it. He says, worship is a response to what we value most. Whatever is first in your life, you're going to respond to that, and that is what worship is. And last week, we said it's so important to make sure what's important in your life, what's number one, because whatever is number one, that's going to influence you. That's going to determine where your future is going to go. That's going to determine what your marriage is going to look like. But before... I'll tell you what we do today. I want to look a little further at the definition of worship. Okay, so we've got one. Resp- one, we've got our worship is our response to what we value most. Two, if you Google it, um, you will see that Google says it's the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. Gavin, my slides are not moving. I don't know why. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. So it's two things you feel it in your heart, you express it, okay, the Webster's Dictionary says it's extreme devotion, intense love, or adoration, so let me ask you this, did you hear anything about music in there, not specifically, right, but when i ask someone especially if you grew up in church maybe if you didn't grow up in church your definition might look different but if you grew up in church and even if it wasn't a whole lot but just every now and again and i would ask you what is worship i think most of us will say worship is the music we sing on sundays it might be the gospel music i listen to in my car and some of you might say worship is me praying to god and that's often where our def- definition stops, but when I look at Louis Giglio's definition, worship is my response to what I value most. Response is not just music, it's not just praying. When I look at Google, it says it's a feeling and an expression of adoration. When I look at Webster's, it's extreme devotion. I give my life to it. It's intense love. It is more than music. It is more than words. It is more than praying. Worship is a whole life response. Worship is a whole life response. And that is our third topic in the series. Worship is a whole life response. If you missed One of the previous weeks you can go and catch up, it is on iTunes, um, it is on YouTube, it's on our Facebook, so you can always go and catch up. But today our topic is worship is a whole life response. I already gave you a couple of definitions and what I want to do is I want us to look at a definition in the Bible for worship. So we are going to head over to Romans 12, where Paul, one of the guys who wrote the biggest part of the New Testament, gives us a definition of what our worship should be. Okay, so we're going to read today from Romans 12, from verse 1 to verse 2, and I'm reading from the New International Bible. Paul gives a very simple definition, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so that's everyone, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to taste and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will Guys patterns develop in life If we did a series earlier this year about habits, and we saw that if something gets your attention, you actually, neural neural pathways are created that makes you do certain things, patterns, without even knowing it. It just happens naturally. We can't help it. And what is interesting is Paul, when he's giving us a definition of worship, it's almost like he's putting two patterns next to each other. It's like there's this pattern that gives glory to God, and then there's this pattern that connects to the world. But you have to kind of choose. And I want to quickly give you an illustration of how easily a pattern develops in life. Okay. About two years ago, I don't know who of you has an an Apple device, but Apple now has on the on the phones this thing where you can view like your time that you spend on your phone. I don't know if Android has it as well. Okay, So if you have never done it, when you get home, don't try to find it now. Go to your settings and go to screen time and go and see what your average screen time has been for the last couple of days. But about two years ago, they did a study in, in the UK and they found that most young adults, so people that are between the 18 and about 30, Spend about double the amount of time on their phones that they think they are spending on their phones, and I almost want to say I don't think it's just young adults. I think this is pretty much standard for anyone who has a smartphone. Okay, so the average person believed that they spend about two and a half hours a day on their cell phone. That's a lot of time, right? The, rea- the reality is five hours a day. That's what most people spend on the phone. So go home and go and check your screen time and see if you or below that or above that but if you're like louis five hours is not that bad five hours is about a third of your waking hours so when you're not sleeping we spend about a third of our day on our cell phones and what this study continued to say was that this is a habitual act it's automatic without our awareness that's the scary part you take your phone out of your pocket. You unlock it. You don't even think about it. You don't even process it. A pattern develops over time because we have so much affection for our cell phones. A pattern develops without you realizing it. It's automatic. And it's interesting, just after this a study from Iowa University in the U.S. came out, and they said looking at the amount of time that people spend on their phones... It is just logical, it just makes sense that it will affect cell phones, will affect your attitude, it will affect your thoughts, and it will affect your behavior. Because this is a piece of plastic metal programming. And without us knowing it, it creates patterns in our life where it literally determines who we become our attitudes, our thoughts, our behaviors. Paul is saying patterns develop in life. You cannot escape it. Whatever you give your devotion to will determine who you're going to become. That's what we spoke about last week. And the sad reality is that often these patterns that he says do not conform to the patterns of the world, often a lot of the patterns that we follow will leave us empty. It will leave us broken. It will leave us disappointed. Cell phones have created a generation where we are the most connected generation to have ever lived but we're the loneliest generation thousands of friends on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all this stuff but we're lonely it's a pattern that leaves us lonely we fall into patterns of sin We fall into patterns with with our friends. The Bible so many times tells us, be careful who you hang out with because it will influence you. It will determine who you're going to become. And patterns that are not from God, habits that isn't God honoring will leave you empty. It will leave you broken and it will leave you without peace. And Paul is telling us, you need to make a choice whose patterns will develop in your life. Now, I want to go back to the first part where he talks about God's pattern for our life. And I want to read this to you from the message translation. That first verse in Romans 12. This says it so clearly. Hear what it says in Romans 12, verse 1b. Paul says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Paul is saying, don't take your Sunday life, don't take your five-minute quiet time life, don't take your two minutes on your knees prayer life and just devote that to God. He's saying, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're hanging out with friends, your social media life. Take everything and place it before God as an offering. And I love, I love, love the fact that he uses a word offering. Okay, now we don't process it that well. But think about someone who lived in this time. Okay, They were still used to some of the temple rituals. So if you made a mistake, if you did sin, if you did something that was wrong in the eyes of God, you will take a goat or you will take some doves, depending on what you did. There was actually laws for what you had to offer. You would take that to the temple. They would slaughter it and physically burn that meat on an altar to God as a sacrifice. So there's nothing left of the offering. So when Paul is saying an offering, he is saying when we give our lives to God, we're not giving Him a little bit. We're not just giving Him a leg. We're not just giving Him an hour on a Sunday. We're not just giving Him an arm. You know, the five minutes that we spend in quiet time, is your whole life is an offering. It means you put everything on the table, your thoughts, your emotions, your work life. We did a series about faith and work earlier this year. If you missed it, go and. Check it out on on our website. Every piece of your life should be an offering to God, no holding back. The problem is when I ask you at the beginning, what is worship? From a Christian perspective, most of us would say it's our words. It's the music we sing. It's the prayers we pray. And when we just focus on one aspect, it creates gaps that God doesn't appreciate. Jesus in Matthew 15, the Pharisees and guys were were coming to Jesus and they were like, why are you disciples doing certain things, but they're not doing these things that that they should be doing according to our rules? And these were guys who thought they had it all together. They were saying all the right words. They were teaching people all the right things. But hear what Jesus tells them. Jesus responds in Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus responds to them in this way He says, These people, you religious leaders, he said, You honor me with your lips. You sing the right songs. You read the right scriptures. You say the right things to people. Your Instagram hashtag is full of love, Jesus, Jesus number one. It looks so pretty. But your hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Your Facebook looks so pretty. An hour on a Sunday looks so good but Jesus is like the rest something is missing it's like only loving your wife one hour a week only liking your girlfriend one hour a week you bring her flowers you say how are you doing you hear our week was and that's it for the rest of your week you never look at her you never think of her you never spend time on her. that's it that's what Jesus is saying that's what you're doing Your words look pretty. You're singing and you're thinking like, God, I'm worshiping you. And God is like, it's so beautiful and I love what you're singing. But there's so much in your life that you desire above me. We use words because it just comes easily, I think. That's why we fall for that trick. Words come easily and they make us feel good about ourselves. It's easier to sing than to touch a broken life. It is easier to sing than to speak the truth to someone who needs it. It is easier to sing than to love my enemy, the person who really hurt me, the person that I feel I cannot love. It is easier to go to church and sit in the pews on a Sunday and sing a few songs than it is to be the church at work, at the party, between my friends, at the gym, wherever I'm going remember, the church is not a building. The Greek word ecclesia means people who are called out for a specific meeting, a meeting for a purpose. So the church is we that gather here for the specific purpose of worshiping God. Not just with our words, but with everything we are. See, God is moved by words. But He loves it when our words are backed up by action. Words mean most when they're amplified by action. We saw that at the beginning. Pick A, the words my family tells me they love me. B, they're always there for me. And we were kind of like, not sure which one we should pick. And I said, who picks both? And all of us were like, yes, I want both. I want the words and I want the actions. I want someone to tell me they love me and to show me that they love me. We want all of that. Words mean most when they're backed up by action. Words without action are empty. And I think for so long, especially in the Western world, and when I say the West, I'm not just talking about Europe and America, I'm also including South Africa, because a lot of our thinking is Western world thinking, and a lot of our our patterns when it comes to Christianity follows that of Europe and the US, where it's declining. And I think part of the reason is that for a long time, Christians have been cheating God, thinking that saying that God is great is enough. Singing that, praying that, but it's not enough. We've been cheating God. We've been robbing Him. And what Paul is trying to teach us in Romans is we need to develop a pattern where we don't follow all kinds of things in our life and then just sing to God that is great and pray to God that is great. But where our patterns line up with what we're singing, where our patterns line up with what we're praying, where everything in our life speaks of an amazing God. Worship is our response to what we value most. And what Paul is saying is God deserves the number one spot in your life. Do you remember in the first week we talked about the trail? Our lives leave a trail. If you follow your time, your energy, your money, it leaves a trail. And if you follow that trail, you will find a throne. And on that throne, something will be seated on that throne that you value most. Paul is saying the only thing on the throne should be God. He deserves it. Why? He says in the first verse, in verse 1a, because, do you know why we worship God this way, this true and proper worship of giving Him our everything, our sleeping, our waking hours, our work life, our everything. Do you know why we give that to God? He says, In view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, because of his grace, this is what he means. He's like, you know what Jesus did for us? Jesus gave everything he had for us. He didn't keep anything back. He literally replaced the lamb. That's why the Bible talks of Jesus of a lamb. On Easter, that we celebrate Easter, the Jews would celebrate Passover, and all these lambs and all these animals would be sacrificed on an altar for the forgiveness of people's sin. But one day, more than 2,000 years ago, the lamb was replaced by a better lamb, by Jesus himself, by God, and for once... That lamb didn't die for one sin you did for once. This perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, died. He gave His everything for every single sin that you have committed, that you will commit, that our ancestors committed, that our children will commit. Jesus was the Son of God, so His sacrifice was perfect. And Paul is saying He didn't hold anything back. He deserves for us to not hold anything back. He deserves our best. He deserves our everything. Because of his mercy, because of his grace, the only thing we can do as a response is to give everything to him. He gave everything. We need to give everything back. And it's so easy for us to get trapped in this mindset that we think in Christianity is about following rules. Oh, Louisa, you're saying as a Christian, I need to live a perfect life and I can never make a mistake. And I have to follow these perfect patterns. That's not what I'm saying. Milo preached last week that when we follow Jesus, our motives change. We were driving back <clears throat> to this city last week, and we drove past um, someone who was begging at the robot. And um, on, on, he had a sign, and he said, I'm starving. Please help me. Now, I don't often give to beggars. I prefer to serve the poor rather than those who do not work. But we know in the time we're living in, some people want to work, but they cannot work because of what's been going on. And if you know my wife, she's always ready to give. So she gave him some money. And, And we drove away and we started talking about it. That a lot of people might give to him because he says he's starving and they give to him, not because they actually care about him. Not because they're worried that he might go to bed hungry tonight, but because two things. One, they feel better about themselves when they do it. And two, because in most other religions in the world, if you, give, if you help that person, they believe that you will either come back, reincarnation as something better, or you will get a better place in paradise. So you're not helping. Your motive is not because you care about the person. Your motive is that I want to feel good about myself and I want to give me a better chance. Of getting whatever they believe waits at the end of this life. When we follow Jesus, you see, we don't serve that person because we have to. We don't give them money because we have to. We don't give Him money because we need to feel good about ourselves. Our motives change. Suddenly we serve this person because if Jesus was here, He would have loved this person. He would have cared for Him. It changes our own heart. It changes our own motives. We care about Him. I know it's not opening my path to heaven because my place in heaven is secure, not because of what I do, but because of who I believe in, because of Jesus. So my motives change. You see, so when I am saying that worship is a whole life response, that it includes our work life, that it includes the way we take care of the poor, that it includes music, that it includes every part of your life, I'm not saying to add habits to your life just for the sake of habits. This is not just about doing good. You see, worship is not just what you do, but who you do it for. It's about the motive behind it. And when we know Jesus, when we understand His grace and the amount of love He had for us, when we still hated Him, the Bible says He died for us. He already loved us. When we understand it, we cannot help but respond to Him in love and with everything we have. And once we start to understand this, once we start to understand that worship is a whole life response to what we value most, suddenly we start to realize that I can worship wherever I am and whatever I'm busy with if I do it for Him. So suddenly, worshiping God at my workplace is not about me going and converting someone else to Christianity, but doing my, way, my work in a way that honors God. It's not at a party party. Never saying a swear word or never drinking too much. No, it is about the way that I love people at the party and the way I speak to them and the way I respect them and the way I conduct myself that brings honor to God. So suddenly everything changes. It's not a set of rules that I have to write down and that I have to tick off. It changes who I am because I do it for Jesus. No manufacturing is required. You don't have to manufacture it. It's a pattern that develops automatically. Like a pattern developed automatically for you to spend five hours on your phone. And by the way, I checked mine and I was at five hours and 30 minutes. That was my average for the last week. I will blame it on my leg. I can't move around. <laughs> but just as a pattern developed for something like our phone usage, a pattern develops when God is first in our life as well, when we value Him above all else. The question is how? And Paul says it starts by being transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what he says in Romans 12. So it says transformation in everything you do starts to happen when something in your mind starts to be renewed. Now the word renewed is so special because renewed means that you, renewal means it's a replacing of something that's broken, something is, that's old, with something that's working, something that's whole. Renewal means that it's the repair of something that didn't function. So when he says we are transformed by the renewing of of our minds, he's saying there are thought patterns in your mind that are broken. There are thought patterns in your mind that doesn't work, that doesn't bring honor and glory to God. And he's like, if you want to give your whole life as a sacrifice to God, if you want to work differently, if you want to sleep differently, if you want to love differently, if you want to honor people differently, if you want to take care of the poor differently, if you want to rebuild your family, if you want to have a marriage that looks different, different, if you want to make a difference in South Africa, it starts with removing all the broken thought patterns, all the lies that we believe, the lies that there's no hope left, the lies that it all depends on me, the lies that whatever that's closest to you might be teaching you, it's replacing them with thought patterns that come from God. That's where it starts. Replace the broken thought patterns with better ones. Every time a bad thought pattern pops up, you have to actively choose to replace it. That's what Philippians 4 tells us. 4 verse 8 to 9. Finally, brothers, fill your mind with everything that's good and holy and praiseworthy and pure. So the bad thought pattern pops up. You have to choose to renew it to replace it with something that's from God, that's holy and praise and and beautiful. And another bad one is going to pop up again when you're at work and you feel so frustrated by your enemy and you don't want to love them and you hate them because they've given you such a hard time. You're like, that is not a thought pattern from God. And you replace it with a better one. It's like the more you do it, the closer you live to God, the more you will want to replace the broken thought patterns with healthy ones. The more you replace them, the more your life will be transformed. The more your life will reflect Jesus. Everything in your life speaks of what you value most. The way you talk, the way you give your generosity, the way you serve, the way you love, what your marriage looks like, what your relationship with your family looks like, the way you worship God, every part of your life speaks of what you value most. Let it reflect the grace and the mercy of our God. He's worth it. Let it reflect Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we can so easily get caught up in crazy patterns in this life that we don't even realize we're caught up in. Patterns that develop out of unhealthy relationships with our phones, with the internet, with stuff we, we're searching and surfing. With people that are a bad influence, with books we're reading, with social media posts we're sharing, we are influenced so easily. But I don't want my life to reflect all of that, God. I want my life to reflect the beauty and the love and the grace and the passion of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to pray for each person person listening to this today. I pray, God, that you would help us to renew our minds. I pray that every time a thought pattern pops up that's not bringing glory to you, that's not worshiping you, that's not true and proper worship, that you will make us aware of it. And that we will have the strength to renew it, that we will replace it with something beautiful. God, may we not be lukewarm Christians. But may we worship you with everything we are. Everything we have. May our lives reflect Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen.